to a Shane Matrone, your weekly recap podcast for HBO's Champagne of Beers of a TV show, uh, A Game of Thrones. My name is Doug. With me, as always, is Brian. Brian, how you doing? Good. How are you? Pretty good. When was the last time you had the high life? Oh, gosh. I don't know. Uh, it's, uh, I, I don't know. Been a long time. Yeah. Been like, a while. It's been a while. It's been uh, quite some time since I've had a, uh, a high life as well. I don't know why I thought of it, because I'm drinking shitty beer right now. It always happens when you go over to somebody's house, or you go fishing, and they're like, hey, you want a beer? And you're like, yeah, sure. And then you realize what they offer you, and you're like, oh, that's not oh, what I think of. Of course. That's interesting. <laughs> that's not what I think of as beer anymore. Yeah. Uh, but exactly. anyway, uh, let's get into it. This is season four, uh, the first episode. Um and I found this to be a very uneven episode, but still the uh, the, the last scene saved it for me. So uh, overall positive, um, if a shaky start to a season. What are your initial thoughts? Yeah, I agree. I, I think I have the exact same uh, opinion of it, and very similar to last week's episode as well. Some really good stuff, some really dumb stuff. But the overarching problem with the episode is now the uh, Sand Snakes are entering our lives uh. in a greater greater to a much greater extent and also um this is really some of this danny uh wandering in the desert for 40 years uh stuff is really being kicked off here as well so and what frustrates me we'll get into it but uh i'm uh, i'm realizing that the wildlings uh that are south of the wall are going to take an entire season to attack castle black is that right oh yeah shit that's fucked up that's that's a horrible uh (laughs) it's a horrible decision i think on the show writers because i mean uh, that should have happened very quickly afterwards, uh, after they got over the wall. But I guess they needed to have John give John to something to do that uh, I guess peaks towards the end of the uh, season. So, whatevs. Yeah, I don't. I don't really recall checking in with them many times, uh, other than when the Thens kill and eat that kid's family. Yeah, Oliver, uh, the little turncoat. Yeah, Oliver. Oscar. I don't remember that any other scenes with them. Um, yeah, but, I don't either. So it's going to be interesting how it plays out. Our remember will be jogged um, as we watch these episodes, I guess. It'll all no come question. back to us. All right, so let's jump right in. The episode opens with uh, Jamie admiring a freshly forged Valyrian steel sword. Um, he's wondering how his father got it since only people in Valeria could make new Valyrian swords. And he says it's reworked uh, Valyrian steel and three people can do it. He sent for one. Um and uh turns out that uh, that sword and a second was made from uh, ice. Uh, he doesn't come right out and say it's ice. He says it's from someone who no longer needs it. And I wonder if Jamie catches a drift here. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, but yeah, he basically has the Stark family sword melted down and turned into two Lannister sword, which is pretty fucked up. More rubbing it right in the Stark's faces. Uh, Tywin wants Jamie to take the sword, return to Castle the Rock, and resume his duties as uh, Tywin's heir. Um, but Jamie isn't about that life. Says he doesn't want Casterly Rock, he doesn't want a wife, he doesn't want a kid. Uh, he doesn't appear to know what the fuck he wants besides, I guess, be uh, continuing his current role as, uh, uh, you know, the Lord Commander of the the Kingsguard or whatever it's called. Um, anyway, Tywin dismisses him pretty aloofly. Like, uh, says if he wants to be a glorified bodyguard, go ahead. Uh, oh, yeah, and you can keep the sword. So... That's all to this scene. My biggest problem was how blase fair Tywin was of his son disobeying him. And, and it's just like, oh, yeah, this sword that I wanted in my family for years and years and years. Yeah, go ahead and just keep it, even though you're not going to take the reins and be my uh, son. 
So I thought that was a little weird. Yeah, maybe just trying to keep his tentacles in uh, in Jamie. I don't know. I thought it was a really cool intro. I'm not entirely sure I knew what this sword was the first time I watched it. Although looking back now, I, I don't know how I didn't because of the lot, the pelt, and it was giant. You, you recall that we saw the sword in the first uh, first episode, and then I think that uh, Numbnuts Joffrey also used it to execute Ned, ironically. Um, yeah, or was used to execute Ned. Tywin's logic. Uh, that there can't be a one uh, one handed Kingsguard was kind of funny to me. Uh, just like he's trying any excuse just to get Jamie to go give him some grandchildren right. at this point, uh, because otherwise, you know, there's the names are really passed on. Or he has to crawl back to Tyrion, which he really doesn't want to do. Yeah, exactly. And so it, it was also curious to me, and it's explained later in the episode why Jamie cared so much about his reputation with regard to the Kingsguard, but uh, I. I I think we uh, learned that later on in the episode. Really cool metaphor, uh, very well shot. You know, it's it's, it's Tywin showing the absolute destruction of the the uh, the Starks by melting down the the symbol of their family. At the same time, it's also very practical because that sword was stupid uh, from the outsider's <laughs> perspective. Yeah, and you know the the value of Valyrian steel is so high that uh, I mean you. It, you, I don't think Tywin's the kind that wastes resources like that. Uh, yeah, but but so. he is kind of because it was an heirloom before and it'll be an heirloom now. Uh, it might even get less. I mean, unless uh, Jamie starts fighting again, which you know who knows about that. Uh, <laughs> it probably won't get nearly as much use as Ice did, and Ice was just used to behead people, really. Um, yeah. The first time we saw Ice was when he chopped off the the Night's Watch uh, deserter in the very first episode. So uh, it's. It's another. It's it's being changed form from one heirloom to another, um, but I think it is. Uh, I I'd, I'd want to say that it's it's uh, because it's two swords. It's there's some duality there, but all this is going to lead to a Doug rant about Jamie. And you know the, the we've had this Doug rant before about Jamie redeeming himself, and it doesn't happen in the goddamn show, and I hate it. Uh, I've said it a million times. Probably shouldn't uh, reiterate it, but it's going to happen later when we talk about it. So. Um, so yeah, I mean, not a bad start to the um, episode, though. I mean, Charles Dance is always good. I just question why he wasn't more angry with um, Jamie not being obedient. Sure. I got you. I got you. I don't know. So next we go to Pod. Bron and Tyrion are waiting for someone. Uh, Bron is getting day drunk, apparently. Uh, we come to find out that they are going to meet the Martells of Dorne and get a kind of a background dump on why the uh, Lannisters and the uh, Martells don't like each other. The Martell uh, traveling party arrives. Pod that gives everyone a flag reading lesson identifying the different houses that are arriving, and apparently Prince Oberon Martell is not there. Tyrion in, uh, introduces himself to the visitors. Uh, they tell, tell Tyrion that the prince has not come. Uh, prince Oberon uh, came, I'm sorry, uh, Oberon Martell came in the prince's stead, uh, and he is already in the in uh, King's Landing. The travelers are kind of uh, rude to Tyrion and just kind of brush past him on the way into the kingdom. Uh, Tyrion says that they better find Oberon uh, because he's dangerous, and Tyrion deduces that he is probably at a whorehouse. Yeah, um, you could tell that uh, Tyrion was a little nervous when he says, no, uh, Joffrey will be honored to have one of the most renowned warriors in the kingdom <laughs> as his, at his yes. wedding. You could tell he was un he was nervous right then, uh, so... I enjoyed that. Um, uh, we did get a shout out to House Man Woody, which is a real uh, house in the book. Um, just 
funny name. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> nothing more to say about that than that. Um, but yeah, the uh, Dorn is a whole special case. Uh, I don't know if I should do a little uh, background now, but um, a reason why both Doran, Duran, and Oberon are princes is because, uh, unlike the other of the six kingdoms, Doran, when it joined the um, uh, the rest of the six kingdoms as to form the seven kingdoms with the Targaryen, was through marriage, and they were allowed to keep a lot of their titles because. Um, you know, they didn't surrender like France or anything like that. They, uh, basically waged guerrilla warfare and, uh, were given somewhat of an elevated status. Um, and this is why, you know, uh, Rhaegar Targaryen married Oberyn's sister, um, because they were more of equal footing than the rest of the Seven Kingdoms. Uh, and a lot of people don't like that. Um... Yeah, I mean, it's just, this is just showing that people from Dorne are different and we get a lot of that in the the next scene, which we'll lead into unless you have anything else to say. No, not really. Kind okay. of filler to me. Yep. Uh, so Prince Oberon and his paramour are at uh, Littlefinger's whorehouse, uh, and they're picking out prostitutes. Um, and as they make their selection, they then decide to have sex with the manager as well. Uh, and once again, this is all to show how different and weird the Dornish are and how their customers are strange. Um, and Oberon suddenly is distracted by hearing somebody in a nearby room singing the Reigns of Castamere. Uh, his paramour starts to get nervous, tells him to calm down. Uh, he goes to seek out who was singing it, finds it's two Lannister men. Um, Oberon introduces himself and uh, immediately starts insulting them, um, saying that Lannisters smell terrible and nobody likes them because they think they're better than everybody else. He then stabs one of the guys in the wrist and holds off the other one by telling him if he removes the blade, his friend will bleed to death. Uh, Tyrion enters awkwardly, and it takes over in a moment to uh, to compose himself, and he's Randy, and he starts making out with his paramour right away. So I guess the whole violent inter- uh, exchange there got him riled up. Uh, yeah, his paramour's name is Illyria Sand. That'll come up big because it's she'll, you'll hate her. Uh, as the season goes on, um, I, that's about it. I, I did enjoy, um, Braun's, uh, or Braun, his, uh, his facial acting went over and asked if they wanted, uh, more prostitutes and he's like, uh, boys yes. or girls, girls, right? And Braun's like, uh-huh. <laughs> and Tyrion's just shaking his head being, uh, political or being the grown up in the room and Braun's like, oh yes, please. I did enjoy that. Yeah, th- this whole thing seemed—I mean—seemed like the entire, or both parts of the scene were entirely for the purposes of titillation. Uh, I mean, I guess it's kind of information about Oberon, but I don't know. It's kind of gross. Yep. Uh, didn't like the forcing the Madam Man—I don't know what to call him—to uh, get in the banging. Um, and I just didn't understand why Oberon was so angry by that goddamn song that he just goes over to to fight people. It, that just seemed. I mean, is he completely unhinged, or I don't. I don't well, here's the thing. The, all right, so I'll explain it to you. I mean, it, it, so uh, I'll give the caveat that I agree with you 100. I think this was all for titillation. I think more of this was just hamfisting so much backstory into one uh, thing, and this happens uh, a lot. This episode, we'll we'll go, we'll see this yeah. time and time again. Where instead of taking time to illustrate something, they they kind of make they kind of make something so hyperbolic to ram home the point quickly. Um, right, and, and you get this a lot with how voracious uh, Oberon's sexuality is and how uh, easily angered he is. 
But essentially, the reason why the reigns of Castamere in particular pisses him off, because it's a, a story about Tywin and the Lannisters extinguishing an entire family. And guess what? That's what happened to his sister and her children. Uh, okay. So you get yeah. it now? Uh, so obviously, and we, we kind of get that in the next scene uh, when he's talking to uh, Tyrion, which we'll get to. Uh, but uh, I agree. It was just this whole thing seemed very rushed and very, uh, we're going to tell you all about this guy very quickly. Um, even, and that being said, I do like the actor who plays Ober- Oberon for sure. Yeah, I think he's pretty good. Yeah. Who are these dudes just hanging out in a whorehouse singing to their uh, prostitutes? Well, we, as I we mean, know, there's only two songs in this uh, universe. Yeah. There's the Reigns of Castamere and the Bear and the Maiden Fair. So you got to sing one of them, I guess. Yeah, but I mean, time is money with a prostitute. Uh, you know, you got to get it in and get it out. <laughs> You're right. It looked Otherwise, like they were just hanging out like they were at a bar instead of a whorehouse. Yeah, he's paying for them to listen to him sing. Uh, <laughs> pretty stupid, but whatever. Uh, so Tyrion and Oberon go on a little walk and talk. Uh, Oberon is upset that Joff was not there to greet him, which it is curious that he wasn't there, but I guess that is also a reflection of the Lannisters not respecting the Martells. Uh, Tyrion asks Oberon why he's at the capital. Oberon lies and says he's there for the wedding. Tyrion realizes this is a lie and asks, asks uh, Oberon why he is there. Oberon tells the story of why the Martells hate the Lannisters. Uh, as you just mentioned, the Lannisters uh, killed and raped the children, including Oberon's sister uh, at the hands of the mountain, which is, comes into play later in the season. Oberon tells Tyrion to tell uh, his daddy that uh, he's there and he's not the only one who pays his debts. Yep. So, um, so I feel yeah, like this was a, yeah, this ahead. was a better summary of, of what's going on. I mean, the yeah, prior scene I agree. was pointless. Yeah. I agree. I think because uh, you get this, you, you should have gotten this scene before the other, maybe, or you probably, yeah, like you said, you probably don't even need that first scene. I think it's, like you said, just for titillation or TNA, we get plenty of that. It's like we met our booby quota for the week, um, plus some violence, um, which I think they definitely have a quota. I've, I think they're like, you know, they probably like an Excel spreadsheet or something, and they're like, well, we need a little bit of violence at the beginning of this episode, so... Um, it's beats per minute, except for they were referring to actual beatings. Beatings <laughs> per minute. Very good. All right. Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, yeah, that's all. I don't really have anything else to say about that. Besides, you're absolutely right. This is a better setup or better characterization of Oberon than the previous scene. And uh, I'm just rehashing what I just said and what you just said. So moving on, yeah. we get to see Danny. We're checking on Danny, your favorite, everybody's favorite, and she's just chilling on the side of a mountain watching her dragons frolic like little dogs. Uh, but just like dogs, once some food gets involved, the big one, Drogo, gets a little aggressive and snaps at her. Uh, Jorah says that da- uh, dragons cannot be tamed. Uh, you know, and I guess she accepts that wisdom from this jerk. Uh, you know, he's never seen a dragon before. Her and Jorah then descend the hill to survey the troops, uh, but can't find Grey Wind and Dario. Grey Wind and Dario. Worm, sorry. Uh, Grey Wind is dead. Uh, they have, they're missing because they're involved in a wager as to who can hold a sword at shoulder height longest, I guess. Uh, pretty dumb. Danny puts an end to it, uh, pretty quickly by, you know, insulting them, saying, you know, threatening to chastise them. Uh, and then Dario makes fun of Grey Worm for having a sexual mutilation, which is hilarious. Uh, and I just want to point out that I hate new Dario. Yeah, he stinks. Yeah. 
Yeah, the uh, old Dario, at least, he's, he seemed really skeezy, uh, which I think is part of the, the character. Um, but this scene, uh, this is part of the Danny wandering. It gets real boring. I, I don't know what the point of this was either, other than to let us know that the dragons were dangerous. But I, I just – that's one of the problems I've had with this – the entire dragon thing is how do you control dragons, you know? Um I mean, I guess if there's some kind of, of, of magical connection with them. That's, that's I, what they allude to in the book, but it really doesn't come across here at all. Like, And she doesn't really get any of that going until she, like, because in the book, uh, in book five, the dragons get wilder and wilder in Marine. That's why she has to lock them up. Yeah. But, but she tames uh, Drogon with a whip, um, you know, and basically standing up to him, like basically um, the dog whisper with uh, Drogon. But so she breaks him. Uh, and in the show, it doesn't play out like that. It's like Drogon and her just come to an understanding. Uh, I don't know. But in the book, it's definitely alluded to that they have almost like a mind meld, like the uh, yeah. dire wolves and the Starks, which would be more consistent with at least in-world magic. Yeah, and it would actually make some degree of sense as to how – I mean, she just has no control over these things. They can all wipe out her army for all she knows, you know? Right. Uh, and also just the logistics of this thing, of this uh, entire army, we get it – a sense of the scope and size of the army based on that one shot where she's walking down the middle of it. Plus she's got all the street trash with her falling behind her. I mean, how are they feeding all these people? I mean, I, I know it's, God, it's beyond the point of the show, but sometimes right. the logistics of it just is so stupid. I, I uh, agree. They could have sense. shown like a bunch of wagon wheels or uh, wagons uh, hauling stuff or the rabble. Uh, all we're seeing is really the uh, unsullied. I guess it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. All right, so uh, next we go to Sansa, and she's not eating. Uh, Shay tries to convince her to eat. She refuses, offering lemon cakes and actually open with the pigeon pie. So I'm not entirely sure uh, if that's the most enticing <laughs> meal to offer someone who's starving themselves. Uh, Tyrion arrives and tells Sansa she also needs to eat. He sends Shay away, which she initially refuses, then gives him the stink eye as she walked away. Go fuck yourself, Shay. Uh, Tyrion attempts <laughs> to comfort Sansa. But Sansa only brings up uh, the atrocities that visited upon her family. Uh, Tyrion gives a little speech about how he admired Rob and Kat. Uh, Tyrion says that Kat would have wanted Sansa to continue on. And uh, Sansa gets up to go to the godswood because people leave her alone there. And she has lost faith in the power of prayer, apparently. Yeah, does anybody like Shay? No. Is Shay even I, like I, is is her side of things even relatable like uh, or is or is it just being a terrible actress or terrible porn star? Um, <laughs> her family's probably at home going, get this bitch off the TV. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, she stinks. I yeah, I, yeah. But, but I, do you I, think it's bad acting or do you think it's like the way they're portraying her in the show? Because her character is definitely a departure from uh, the book. Um, I just. I, like she just she's just too much of a nag, you know. Like people yes. got um, there was a backlash because everybody hated Skylar White in uh, Breaking Bad, even though she was like sane. She's like, no, I don't want you selling drugs, my husband. Uh, but yes. everybody hated her because she was a nag. I feel it's the same way with Shay. Only uh, Shay has less um, of a moral high ground here. Um, I, I think just Shay has unrealistic expectations, and uh, Tyrion's having to. Uh, placate those expectations and I think it's it's exasperating him and is exasperating me too 
Yeah, it really is. And she's just not smarter. I mean, she pretends to be streetwise and so on and so forth, but she just has no, no, doesn't have any sense. It doesn't seem. Okay. So the next scene, Tyrion gets kicked, you know, he got kicked by his wife. Now he's going to about get kicked in the balls by his, uh, his lover. So Shay's waiting for him in his bedchambers. Uh, he chides her for being there saying it's dangerous. Um, he shouldn't be there. Uh, she says it's been too long since they did the deed. Uh, and she tries to seduce him, and Tyrion's not in the mood. Uh, Shay feels insulted, accuses Tyrion of being, uh, uh, first of being in love with his child bride, Sansa, uh, and then refutes that, uh, accuses him of being behind Varys, um, attempt to get her to flee to the free cities with, uh, Diamond Necklace last season. Uh, and he denies that, but Shay leaves angry, um, while we see a handmaiden, uh, in the shadows, overhearing everything, get a sneaky, suspicious look on her face. So we know there's nothing good there. No, this uh, this also sucked. Um, Shay stinks and is dangerous and stupid, it seems. Yep. Those were my notes. Yep. yep. I really don't have anything else to say, but uh, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Um, All right. Yeah, she's she's annoying. <laughs> yep. All right, so next we uh, go to Kyburn, and he is fitting Jamie with a gold hand. Uh, Jamie is not appreciative of it. Apparently, uh, Kyburn had, or somebody had been working hard on it. Kyburn and Cersei discuss uh, Kyburn helping her with something. Kyburn exits. Uh, we don't. It's not clear what they are discussing. I hope that you were able to shed some light on this in a moment. Cersei tells Jamie that he's grown uh, that she's grown fond of Kyburn, which is troubling. Uh, Jamie calls Cersei out for drinking all the time, and Cersei makes a bunch of complaints. Jamie says that he was. Uh, he w- he was uh, what trying to get oh, back oh, to that, her. That he, yeah, no, that um, Tyrion wanted him to uh, leave the King Guard, King's Guard, but he has to stay there to oh, be yeah, with Tyler. her. Yep. Which, yeah, which which explains why Jamie uh, cares so much uh, about the uh, honor of staying uh, active in the King's Guard. Huh. Jamie tries to put the moves on Cersei, but strikes out. Uh, Cersei's angry at Jamie that he was captured and that it took so long to get back. She's been a real jerk. Yeah, that's. We'll get to that. Just unbelievable. Yeah, uh, Cersei then pivots and says that Jamie took too long to return. And before we can learn what that also means, someone arrives to tell Cersei that there is important news. Okay. Yeah. The first thing is uh, she says that Kyburn was treated some of her symptoms. What are these symptoms? What are they for? I don't know. Uh, the only thing I can think of, and this, you know, once again, I've read the books. I'm a terrible host. Uh, but it's been speculated that Cersei was pregnant um, again, either with uh, Robert or uh, Jamie's child. Uh, maybe she was having that taken care of. Who knows? We have no indication of um, what the symptoms were about. We'll pay attention this season, I guess, to see if anything comes to light or if it was just a one-off uh, mention, which it very well could be. This episode was written by D&D and directed by DBY, so... Uh, we'll and see that was actually that was my guess, uh, and that would also kind of explain the later comment. You were too late, uh, just kind of hinting at Jamie that she was banging her cousin for a while while he was gone. I guess, and and that's the thing is, like she seems to be in ra- irrationally angry at him. Um, mm-hmm. you know, getting mad that she left him alone without taking into account the very practical. Uh, situation that he was in being uh held under guard and being held captive and being lucky to escape with his fucking life uh and being wounded uh by being maimed having his hand removed so i feel like 
she's just irrationally angry with him. Um, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I don't get Cersei's it. crazy, but yeah, I, I like. There's no method to this madness. I feel um, she just felt lonely. But I wish we could have seen that. Maybe she could have lamented Jamie not being around and being angry with him. One or two mm-hmm. scenes would have helped. I think um, she didn't seem vulnerable or angry that Jamie wasn't around. She seemed sad at times, but I, I can't think of a situation where she was like pissed and blaming him for it, which is exactly no, what she's doing. It. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me see. I, uh, there was something else I wanted to mention. Um, fuck, I can't remember. Oh, you know the uh, also struck me as odd was the uh, that the the hand is made out of gold. I believe gold is supposed to be fairly heavy. Wouldn't it, like a, a whole gold uh, hand made out of gold be too heavy to wield, or maybe it's hollow gold? But uh, yeah. it seemed odd. Well, plus it's but, malleable too. Like that's one of those prospectors, yeah. and you know, in olden times, would bite into some bite into a coin because if you they bit hard enough their teeth would leave marks meaning it was gold and it was soft um yes probably not the best thing but i guess you know he's lannister uh so i guess he has to do it i don't know yeah uh yeah once again i can't remember what oh yeah going back to what you said um so refusing to be tywin's heir and going back to castle rock was more about banging his sister as opposed to upholding honor right I think, yes, I think that's uh, entirely what it is. You made that clear, and that seems to make the most amount of sense. Uh, because once again, they're they're ruining my Jamie redemption arc. That, I mm-hmm. love so much. <laughs> Moving on. Yes. Okay, so uh, uh, Tormund uh, and Egret and the rest of the Wildlings are just hanging out, waiting uh, to hear back from Mance as to what to do next, which does make a lot of sense. They're supposed to just go to Castle Black, even though that John's there. Uh, they should still go there. Anyway, Tormund converses with Ygritte um, as she's making a shitload of arrows, uh, and g- he gives her shit for not killing John. Says he's seen her shoot the you know the butthole of fly from the moon to the sun, or some equally stupid exaggeration to say that Ygritte's really good at bow and arrow shooting. Anyway, uh, he basically accuses her of letting John go. Uh, then. Out of nowhere, they're joined by another tribe of wildlings called the Thens, and there's all sorts of evil music, and it sets up these cartoonishly bad, bad guys. Uh, their leader is um, the Magnar of Then, basically their king, uh, and he's just complaining that everybody south of the wall is fat and slow, and Tormund and his gang, since they were uh, snuck up on by them, are probably getting slow as well. Um, and to understand just how bad these guys are, they get rid of whatever stupid animals they were cooking on the fire and they put people on the fire. They're going to eat people. Oh, no. Yeah, the Thens, I thought the Thens worked well in the book, but I, I, I wasn't, I didn't like it in the show. Well, they, they're just making them too separate. The the screen. Yeah, they're making yeah. them separate. The Thens were just one of the, one of the, the <laughs> one of the fucking wildlings. They but, just happened to be cannibals. Right. They just, they just yeah. were accepted. They weren't like the, it wasn't like everybody hated them. You know, this is just some simplistic crap, uh, you know, to have a big bad for this season, I guess, between, for John. You know what I mean? I guess, you know, they have to synthesize this into, like, one person or a group of people to be ultimately evil. Um, yeah. Yeah, the Thens were just another group of wildlings that were with, totally accepted by the other group. Um, that's it. I mean, hell, there was a, there's a woman named, like, a dog's head who every day she kills a new dog and puts its head on a spike and uses that her as her uh, like sigil 
Uh, that's Jesus some disgusting Christ. shit. And that's just an that's just like one that's a norm another Tormund. So um I just think it's crazy and kind of dumb. But uh yes, the Thens are the bad guys, if you guys didn't catch it from the <laughs> description. Yes. All right, so next we go to Castle Black. Uh it's apparently archery training day. Um, John is dressing and telling Sam how he grew up jealous of Rob, uh, but uh, and he must have just received the news of Rob's death. He's taking Sam it pretty well. Also, what's that? He's taking it rather well, I think. Yeah, I think so. It might have been uh, sometime after he initially received the news. I don't know. Um, yeah, he, he does take it well, though. He's got a lot on his mind, though. Uh, so Sam tells John that he is all, he was jealous of uh, John in much the way that John was jealous of Rob, uh, John then goes to um, to the the Council of Garbage. Uh, John tells a story what happened to Kyburn particularly, and uh, Slint Corrin, and Thorn. Yeah. yeah, I'm sorry. Corin, but continue. Corin. Oh yes, yes. Corin Halfhand. I'm sorry. Yeah, Q names. Yeah. Uh, Slint wants to kill him for banging a wildling. Apparently, if a, a pretty funny exchange um, between. Uh, Slint and John. Uh, John tells the council that he looks uh, to – that uh, the there's a 100,000-strong army on the way, including giants. Slint kind of laughs uncontrollably and then looks to everyone else at the table to see if they're all laughing. When they're not, he immediately stops laughing. Uh, that John roasts uh, Slint on how he is no longer a gold cloak. Yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, yeah, that was good. Um, and uh, John tells uh, the the council how the signal will be the largest fire that ever, anyone's ever seen, and then exit. Uh, Master, Master Amon says uh, basically intercedes and uh, pardons John because John has told the truth about receiving the assignment to go live as a wildling. Yeah, um, John is pretty. Uh, he doesn't seem conflicted at all. Like there's no like. He's pretty convinced that he didn't murder Corrin, which, you know, I imagine he'd feel somewhat conflicted about it. I mean, he did kill a guy, even if it was kind of on the guy's behest. Um, he seems very, he has a lot of conviction here. And I understand that they can't show his inner uh, monologue. I guess that's the little scene we got from with Sam uh, and him earlier showing that he, I guess, you know, it had more to do with Rob's death and how he felt inadequate um, but yeah, he doesn't seem, he seems pretty resolute. Even when he left, uh, Sam's quarters, he says, Sam's like, Oh, don't worry about it. You did nothing wrong. And he's like, I've done plenty wrong. So he seems to have accepted like all the things he did right away and has just kind of moved on. There's no conflict here. Um, yeah. In the books, the John was probably the most introspective character. Um, and I, it doesn't really translate to the screen. I mean, there's no real way to, have like an in-depth di- internal dialogue other than, you know, making some faces here and there. Um, so I think some of John's, uh, John's depth is lost in the character. Yeah. That's what I, I think trying to get four- at. Yeah. Right. There's a lot more nuance in the book in this, this scene. Uh, but yeah, you're right here. He's just, uh, all right, well, um, either kill me or don't, I don't give a shit. <laughs> yeah. He seems very, whatever. He doesn't feel mm-hmm. conflicted at all or doesn't seem like it. All right. Um, so next we go to King's Landing and Lady Olena and Large Marge are evaluating necklaces. Uh, and according to the Queen of Thorns, none of them are any good. She throws one valuable piece of necklace over the cliff like an idiot uh, just to show how much she doesn't care for these necklaces. Um, uh, Brienne shows up asking to speak with Marge. The you know, Queen of Thorns makes fun of her. Uh, makes her feel uncomfortable. 
and but eventually they uh, they are allowed to leave. And while strolling, Brienne relates a story of what happened to Renly, her former husband, and how he was murdered by a shadow that looked like Stannis. Um, not much to the scene. I don't see the point of this interaction. I don't either. I don't either. This was one of a lot of these in this uh, episode. Now that we've talked, I think I liked it more uh, when I watched the episode as opposed to talking to it, talking about it. But maybe that's because the last scene is so awesome. Yeah, I guess that's that's uh, that's what I've learned is that's happened actually in the reverse sometimes when I've watched the scene and not enjoyed it. But after breaking it down, I was like, you know what? This wasn't a bad uh, episode. This is, I guess, the the opposite for you. Um, yeah. Well, and you know, I actually read online um, that the the original version of this, when it was written, didn't feature the last scene. Which, thank Christ, they added it back yeah, in. Yeah, Because otherwise, this might be one of the worst ones going. So, all right. So on to the next scene. Jamie is with Joff in the bearded pedo pedo pederast. Uh, <laughs> what's his name? Baron Trant. Yeah. <laughs> Jamie's planning uh, the defenses at the wedding with Trant. Uh, Joff believes he did everything. He saved the castle, broke the armies, and points out uh, that Jamie wasn't there for it. Uh, Jamie is forced to apologize for it, and then Joff, uh, in one of the jer- jerkiest moves I think we've ever seen on this show, Joff thumbs through the book of lists, a book containing the deeds of all of the Kingsguard, and he uh, point- points out some of the more accomplished people in it, and then he gets to Jamie's entry. It's uh, completely lacking, like for almost as if his name was in red on Wikipedia. <laughs> uh, Joff does not think uh, Jamie can protect him any longer uh, because he's a disabled person, and Jamie is just forced to eat shit uh, from his asshole son this entire scene. Yeah, I think the bigger thing is uh, I never, even in the books, I never got enough of what Jamie thought of his own son. Like the fact that he has several children and he can never acknowledge them uh, as being his children. Um, there's some talk of it in the book, but it's really not acknowledged and it's really not played up here. Um, another thing is he did mention two uh, great knights of the Kingsguard. Uh, first we got, um, uh, what was the guy's name? We get to see him in season six. Um, Arthur Dane, Steward of the Morning. Yes. So we get to mm-hmm. see him. There's mention that, And then uh, Sir Duncan Latall, which... Uh, you book uh, nerds, if you read the um, the Hedge Knight and the Duncan Egg series, know who that is. And if you have not, I highly recommend it. Have you read it? Uh, I've read two, the first two of the three. That's all stories. you need. The third one is kind of yeah. ridiculous and hard to follow, and uh, just just deals too much with conspiracies. Uh, didn't enjoy it nearly as much as the first two, but uh, yeah, so Duncan Latall, I, I appreciated that shout out. He's also mentioned in uh, one of the early episodes, too, when Nan offers to tell Bran stories about uh, some of his favorite stories. And, and she said, mentioned Sir Duncan the Tall as one of his favorite stories. Yeah, we won't get too uh, into the weeds, but um, it's hypothesized that Sir Duncan the Tall um, and Aegon, or Egg, uh, eventually make it up to Winterfell and... Um, they do the deed. Uh, old Nan and Sir Duncan the Tall get it on. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Wow. Huh. Uh, and that's the Hodor. Um, or the Hodor is part of that line. Uh, just two oh. two tall people, or a tall person and old man. I don't think she's tall, but whatever. Uh, but yeah, this is uh, where are your great deeds? Like in the books, this is like uh, Jamie's own like inter uh inner monologue uh coming to terms with what it means to have honor 
And, you know, it's this very, he, he just sits there, looks at the book and realizes that history isn't written yet. He can turn things around. He can be a good person. He can do great deeds. Um, uh, and it's where he, you know, he start he stops being as selfish as he always been, and starts his just another journey on this redemption arc that the show doesn't fucking do, and it makes me sad. I'm not even angry anymore. I'm just sad. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. Okay, so uh, let's move on. Unless you have anything else to say. No, not really. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. What? Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was good, just going to repeat things we said earlier. I realized, so yeah, let's move on. Well, good for you catching it because I've done that several times. <laughs> no, oh uh, yeah, okay. So on the road to Marine, uh, which is the third slave city in Slavers Bay, I feel like the show did a terrible job of illustrating this. Like, if I was a show watcher, I'm like, where are they going now? Why? Uh, but anyway, uh, so they're on to the third of the three Slavers Bay cities. Danny and Sandy chat about what kind of a city it is and. Miss Sandy says she's been there several times. Uh, you know, thousands of slaves died making the Great Pyramids. Um, whatever. Dario interrupts him and offers Danny several flowers. Uh, Danny is annoyed and angered by this. Uh, but it turns out, oh, he was showing her local herbs and trying to give her an education. Uh, quote, unquote, this is just a skeezy move, but Danny is somehow charmed by this uh, and accepts the flowers. Meanwhile, the column of Unsullied abruptly stops as they discover that the maesters or the masters of uh, Marine have crucified a slave child at every mile marker and pointed the way to the city, um, the 160 plus of them, basically just goading Danny, uh, letting her know they know that she's marching towards the city and they're kind of goading her and uh, giving her shit for whatever reason. Seems like a dumb move on their part. Um, Danny is not pleased by this, but orders that the bodies be... Uh, left in place until they pass them um, so that she can, I guess, fuel her righteous indignation. Uh, that's what I got from it. Yeah, pretty brutal. Was that this in the books? Yep. Yeah. And she returns it in kind. So, like, once she takes Marine, she crucifies the same amount of wise masters and leaves sure. them rotting in the, uh, the square or whatever. So, turnabout's fair play, I think. Yeah, I guess. I, I mean, I, I don't know why the slave masters would do that. It doesn't yeah, make any sense that seems whatsoever. Dumb. Yeah, yeah, you're killing your chattel. Um, you know, and to, the, the other part of yeah, huh? you're you're doing it for what purpose? I guess psychological warfare. But I, I mean, it, like making your enemy angry, I guess, would make them possibly act irrationally. But I don't know. Yeah. It doesn't seem like this would do anything, but just piss them off slightly. It's not like you're gonna hurt them. I don't know. This yeah, it just seems like a bad to turn around or anything. Yeah. yeah. What, what's yeah. this accomplishing? Oh yeah. What are you going to treat your slaves worse if we come up to right. fight you? <laughs> I mean, Jesus. Yeah. So, um, so next, uh, Bran and Jamie are discussing uh, Jamie's promise to Cat that he's supposed to keep uh, Arya and Sansa safe uh, while also gazing upon Sansa sitting uh, on her sad bench. Uh, it's quite a conundrum because Jamie Cat's uh, dead, so Jamie can't return. Uh, Sansa, and they don't know where Arya is. Uh, Sansa goes to leave her sad place when she is pursued by a mysterious figure who is uh, the drunken former knight or former um, Kingsguard, or I don't, I don't remember what position he had. Uh, it, it turns out it's that clown, Dantos. Uh, Dantos is a fool. He's apparently drunk again. Didn't learn his lesson. Dantos thanks her for saving him and gives uh, her a gift, 
which is a necklace that is supposedly a family heirloom. Sansa is initially reluctant to take the necklace, but uh, Dantos convinces her to take it. If only he put some of the salesmanship into his, his life and career instead of drinking wine all the time. Um, so that's pretty much the scene. So let me ask you, this stupid necklace, what, what, kind of, what the hell kind of plan is this by Littlefinger? Well, uh, in the book, it's a hairnet, and I don't, I don't, I don't remember how it plays out in the show. But basically, um, in the book, Dantos tells her not only is it valuable, but it also like has like special properties, and he makes sure that she wears it during Joffrey's wedding. Um, basically, getting her to bring the poison in the poison that kills Joff into the wedding uh, on her own. And then having somebody else, presumably the Queen of Thorns, take it from her necklace or in this or in the book, uh, the hairnet, and drop it into the wine that Joffrey drinks. That's how it plays out. Um, so it's not a great plan. It's another one of those plans that you're like, wow, this doesn't seem well thought out or uh, doesn't seem like it's rock solid. No, it doesn't. I mean, what what if she didn't accept the necklace? Uh, what if she didn't wear the necklace on the day of the wedding? Uh, then I imagine Hollard wouldn't get any wouldn't get more booze. Because I imagine he's being bankrolled by Littlefinger. Yeah, I, I guess. I, I, but what? What's? Uh, I mean, what if? The, how do you get some, like a pearl or whatever off a necklace without somebody who's wearing it noticing? I, I just never. In the in the show, it, they he's just poisoned all of a sudden, and her necklace is missing one of the the pearls or whatever they are. Like, there's no explanation of how. Yeah, it got in the from books, uh, the Queen of Thorns definitely. Says like, oh Sansa, come here. Your hair is a mess. And yeah, so that, a hair that makes some degree of sense, and I don't know why they wouldn't go with the one that actually makes some sense. I, I guess it's a hairnet isn't modern enough. Like women don't wear hairnets nowadays. I guess I don't know. I'm just trying to come up I with guess. excuses. Uh, one thing is going back to the whole Jamie thing. Uh, Jamie being conflicted about how like to save Sansa or whatever. It's a show invention because in the books, Jamie doesn't arrive to King's Landing until after Joffrey's dead and Sansa has already escaped. So he cannot fulfill the promise to Catelyn. Um, it isn't a choice like it is here, which once again robs and ruins <laughs> Jamie's fucking character. God damn it. Um, yes. And then a little backstory about uh, Dantos Hollard. Uh, Hollard says he was the last one of his line or you know, his family was on the up and up. Basically, what happened to his family, uh, they were all executed because they rebelled against the Mad King, but they did it too early. They actually held the Mad King uh, in a siege, and Sir Barristan got him out. And when the Mad King got out, he had the entire Hollard family uh, extinguished, except for the youngest boy who was allowed to live, uh, and that's Dantos. And then, you know, Littlefinger takes care of this uh, sad sack, so that family is just uh, extinguished now. Just sad. Well, I guess that would, would make more sense as to why he is an alcoholic. Yeah, uh, because his entire family yeah. was burned alive by uh, yeah. the Mad King, I guess. He's going to have some uh, internal demons, you would think. Yeah. Okay, let's uh, let's finish out this episode with uh, one of the best scenes, uh, I think, in Game of Thrones history, I think. Uh, I don't know if I'm overselling it, but basically, the Hound and Arya are riding along past uh, basically Carnage. They see several dead villagers. Um... Arya wants a horse, but the hound says no, since she's likely to go away and she's the most valuable thing he possesses right now. Says that his plan now, since his mother's or her mother's not an option to ransom her, he's gonna ransom 
ransom Arya to her aunt, Lysa, in the Vale, so I guess that's where they're going. Uh, they spot a tavern, uh, but the Hound is reluctant to go in. Arya recognizes one of the guys as he goes out to piss as Polliver, a man who killed Lommy Greenhands in Season 2 uh, and took Needle from her. Arya basically forces the Hound's hand by making a, a run for the tavern, and he's forced to follow against his better judgment. Um, there's immediate tension, not because the woman in the room is about to be uh, raped or, uh, or sexually assaulted, but because they recognize the Hound and they fear that he's uh, trouble. Anyway, one of the idiots, I guess it's Polliver, uh, engages the Hound in friendly banter, complaining about being under the command of the mountain and how all they do is torture all day and it's tiresome. It's losing its luster. Uh, he then invites the, house to, the Hound to join up with him, says that they can rape and pillage basically as much as they want because you know they're kingsmen and the king's winning the war, if not won it. Uh, the Hound says, fuck the king, which puts the guy at edge, and the guy basically calls him a coward or says he heard rumors that the Hound uh, lost his nerve. The Hound says he's hungry, says he'll take one of the chickens. The guy's like, oh, I'll trade you a chicken for one of your chickens, and then looks at Arya, gets wanting to have sex with the little girl. Um, and then Hound doesn't like that, says, calls the guy a talker, which I found amusing, and then drinks his beer, says all this talking makes me thirsty and hungry, drinks the beer right in front of him, which is pretty good. And then we get the best Sandor Klee, the, the Colonel Sandor line, uh, when he's like, I think I'm going to have two chickens now. And the Polliver turns to him and says, I don't think you understand the situation. I understand that if any words, come, any more words come pouring out your cunt mouth, I'm going to eat every fucking chicken in this room, uh, which is pretty ridiculous and dumb, but also amazing. Um, which I guess sums up D&D together, all together. But anyway, uh, a drawn-out fight ensues. All hell breaks loose, uh, in which people are getting punched instead of stabbed or kicked instead of killed. Um, eventually, someone is stabbed in the dick, uh, which that's the D&D touch right, na- right there. Uh, yep. the, the Hound also wrestles with a guy and forces him to stab himself in the eye several times, which uh, was just fucking brutal. It was one of the most brutal things I've ever seen on television. Um, and Arya's on the sidelines the entire time, not doing anything. Uh, but then she suddenly decides to get involved. She, uh, smashes a pot over a guy's head and then casually stabs him in the stomach very slow, which I also appreciated how brutal that was. Um, then she cuts Polliver's legs out from behind. He goes down, uh, and she starts reciting the same words that Polliver said to Lamy before he killed him. And the guy just seems confused until he gets a moment of recognition right before, Arya slowly uh, sticks needle through the guy's throat and pulls it right back out while the guy chokes on his own blood. Pretty brutal shit. Uh, later, we cut to a shot of the Hound and Arya, uh, and now Arya has her own horse, and they're leaving the tavern. The The Hound is also eating chickens, and they're riding towards, uh, I guess, the heart of the Riverlands that is still burning, um, I guess foreshadowing the rage that uh, Arya feels, and um, that's about it. Yeah, great scene, uh, top to bottom. I thought the uh, funny, uh, the the fighting was pretty brutal, but it was also well choreographed, well shot. Uh, you get to see some uh, j- brutal justice. I mean, if they're so good, if they can write this kind of scene so well, that's what I'm saying. This is so shit. This is yeah. what pisses me off about these guys is they can they can do something like this, and then they just the rest. A lot of these other scenes in this show were just fucking terrible. 
just goddamn yeah. terrible. I I think it's like uh you know there's a lot of directors and a lot of writers out there that uh, are better when they collaborate with other people when they realize their own shortcomings. Um, but you know just like George Lucas in the the prequels when no one's on when no one's gonna check Dave and Dan now they they've got one of the most popular shows of all time they can do whatever the fuck they want. Um. But it's just sad. Yeah, they actually they this directed this together as well. They oh, apparently okay. I know they my wrote understanding it. Is, I didn't know they directed it as well. Yeah. They my understanding is that uh you can't have two directors for a TV show. Oh, so one I person has to get the credit? Yes, and this is the second one that they've directed in the series to date and the the other one of the two clowns uh received the directing credit on the prior episode that they co-directed. Yeah, but you're absolutely right. I mean, if they can do this, I mean, this was compelling. You're right. Lots of tension. The uh, like I said, some of it was juvenile, like uh, getting stabbed in the dick, and some of the talk uh, was crude in a D and D way. But still, it was entertaining, um, and uh, great action. That guy getting stabbed in the face was fucking brutal to watch. I mean, to me, I found that yes. harder to watch than uh, over and getting his head smashed in because over and getting his head smashed in was kind of like ridiculously over the top this seemed like something that could actually happen yeah yeah i did like this the symbolism also as well the aria uh re-obtaining her sword needle to close out the episode when we had the other uh what what the viewers would know as a stark sword being destroyed in the beginning of the episode that's being reclaimed i think there's good yeah good parallels there and also yeah also kind of sets up that Arya will likely be the uh, angel of, of death for her to, in terms of justice for her family. Um, so and she just God, she's straight psycho. Yeah. I mean, she, her, her even affect after being in the middle of this battle, even though she's like a kid and has killed two people to this point. I but mean, I, I feel like the way she killed both of them, like was this mm-hmm. slow stab. Like normally when you see people yeah. get stabbed in like uh movies or tv shows it's just a very violent thrust the swords inside them and they get pulled out and that's it but she like slowly pushes and there's like a little bit of resistance like you'd actually like get from like piercing flesh or you imagine i don't know i haven't uh stabbed anybody um unfortunately i hope that doesn't hurt my street cred but um but yeah like she just like pushes the the sword in and it's so like mechanical and just oddly realistically filmed uh disturbing but like exciting in the same way i don't know yeah i liked it it's also odd too her her transition in later seasons when she's going through all the uh the homeless fight club stuff you know she's very uh she can become very animated and upset and all this kind of stuff but she's so even tempered in this scene it almost seems like she takes a step backwards in the in I guess five and six uh, seasons, yeah. I, I mean, it, yeah. She's been when she killed the people at the end of last season. Uh, you know, when she dropped the coin, she was like yeah. almost in shock. Uh, she had that flat affect as well. But you're right; she almost gets more emotional, or she lets her emotions get there better ever as she goes on. But I'm sure it's just you know poor writing, I guess. Uh, but yeah, the, there was like almost uplifting music at the end, which I think misses the point where, uh, you know, you shouldn't be rooting for Arya. Like, <laughs> it's good that the Lannisters, these guys are getting uh, some justice slash vengeance, but it's still not good for Arya. It's not a good scene. Arya's not going to live happily ever after. There's no way. Uh, we'll see. I still, there's no way. We'll see. 
You think she's gonna, marry, she's gonna marry uh, Gendry and they're gonna have babies. Yeah, they're gonna settle down. That'd be actually that'd be fun on, on that'd a boathouse. Good, good fan service. Yeah, absolutely. Have a, a wedding at sea. Okay, so yeah. let's let's do it. Let's um, let's change it up. I'm gonna give this one a um, ooh, a Bennigan's Monte Cristo because you can't get it anymore. Okay, but it's still pretty good, even though it's not good for you. I'm gonna give this a two. Wow, and I think it it probably would have been a one if it wasn't for that last episode, the last scene. Okay, well that's 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 really low. That's that's lower than I thought. Well, I mean, what the, what else really happened? You're right. Uh, you know, it's a we say this all the time with the first uh, episodes of a season. It's table setting, but it didn't seem to be much table setting. And the table setting it did seem to be pointless. A lot of it. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So I guess you're yeah. right. Uh, so I'll say a two point five. I still think it was. I think the strength of the last scene really brought it up to being mediocre. Yes. Yeah. All right, right, Doug. All right. uh, This was a short one. I think we're very efficient with this episode. I applaud us for our efforts, and I hope you do too, Sam Shu. That being said, please rate and review us on iTunes, and if there's nothing else, we will see you next Tuesday. Thank you, everyone. Bye, Dixon.